I'm on staff here with crew, and that means that my job is to read the Bible with people like you, to talk to people about Jesus if they don't know Jesus. Um, it is a fantastic job to have. I love being on staff with crew. Um, so I didn't grow up near my extended family. My dad was in the Air Force, and we moved around a lot, so I only saw, like, uncles and cousins and grandparents, you know, once every few years. Um, my only set of grandparents is on my dad's side, and so my grandma, her name was Lou, and Lou was a phenomenal gift giver. She would Christmas shop, like, for all the grandkids all year long and save up things and, like, wrap them ahead of time. Um, her presents were always like immaculately wrapped. She's one of those super wrappers. She could do all the ribbon curls and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and giving was just a really great joy to her. But because she and I weren't together very often, there came a point, there came a phase in my life where I realized that like she didn't know what I liked. I remember one occasion specifically, I must have been right around 10 years old. Um, I eagerly unwrapped a present from Lou only to find out that it was a pretty intense Minnie Mouse water bottle. Now, I couldn't find the actual water bottle, but it looked pretty much just like this Minnie Mouse doll but with a straw in its head. That was about it. Um, and at, at 10 years old, I was pretty tomboyish. You know, this is a mouse with a dress and a bow. It's a bad start. I, I was not particularly attached to Disney. Um, unless it was a character from Mulan or The Lion King. So like Minnie Mouse was just like way out in left field for me. Um, I tried to be really polite when I unwrapped this gift and not be disappointed. Luckily it had been mailed to me. Lou was not in the room, so she couldn't see my you know very faked reaction. Um, but I remember my mom explaining that Lou just didn't know what to get me because we didn't spend time together. She said, you know, she loves you a lot, but because she doesn't hang out with you, she doesn't really know you. She's, she's responding to her idea of a granddaughter rather than who you actually are as her granddaughter because she just hasn't had that opportunity. Um, I'm sure you guys have similar off-putting experiences that you've had in your life. And, um, you know, someone acts like they know you, but then they show by their actions that they really don't. Here at Crew Large Group, we're in a topical series that lays out some basic systematic theology topics. We're calling it core doctrine. What are the core doctrines of the Christian faith? Um, Christian scholars have done this through the centuries. They've identified topics of interest, and then they'll like sort of scan the entire Bible for all of the relevant passages and verses on that topic, and they'll distill what we call a systematic theology. So we're doing a very, very tiny version of that. Last week we talked about Scripture, and this week the topic is God. That's right, when we were signing up for topics as a staff team, I said, you know what I can cover in 25 minutes? God. So that's what we're doing today. Um, you know, God is, is huge. We couldn't cover him in 25 years, much less 25 minutes. Um, to put on top of the difficulty of this talk is that many of you know God personally and you have a relationship with him. And so, so you're coming in with bits of knowledge already. But for even those of you who have a relationship with God, you might actually be acting like my grandma Lou. You might be buying God Minnie Mouse water bottles when what he really wants is a Lion King t-shirt. And the analogy breaks down, but I think you know what I'm saying. Um, we often think we know what, what, like who God is and what he wants when we're actually just responding to our idea of God. And that idea is often based on ignorance and lies. 
Therefore, I'm going to try to give you an entry point through which you can deepen your knowledge of God. I can't actually give you a deep knowledge of God tonight, but I'm going to give you a way to enter into sort of an exploratory phase in your life where you're learning more about who God is. Um, One of the ways that scholars break down the attributes of God is by putting his attributes into smaller categories and examining them in these smaller chunks. And so tonight we're going to look at two categories, a few attributes from each category, and what it means for you. Pretty simple outline tonight. Um, And just a quick note before we get started, I did borrow heavily from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology for this talk, Um, so just a heads up. So these two categories that help us think about God's attributes. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase made in God's image, as in humans are made in God's image. Okay, good. Several of you have heard that phrase. Um, It's a funny phrase because it's not super clear. So if, if I am made in God's image and God can speak mountains into being, then I can go outside and I can shout and a mountain will pop up. And of course that's not true. So it it can't mean that. But if we talk about God being loving, do I have the capacity to love? Yes, I do. It's not exactly like God's love, but it certainly is similar. And it's these kinds of thoughts that give us our two categories for tonight. Um, The two categories are communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. You may remember the word communicable from your previous health classes where we talk about communicable diseases. Honestly, this is actually similar, but with a much more positive connotation. Um, The communicable attributes are attributes that God shares with us to a great extent. The incommunicable ones are the ones that he doesn't share with us very much. Are we already? Okay, good, you got that. Um, Elizabeth is great. I'm sometimes too quick to follow. She's killing it. So I say, you know, that he shares with us to a great extent or not very much because these are not black and white categories. It is more of a spectrum. I know you know what a spectrum is, but I couldn't resist it. I made you a slide with a spectrum on it. So this idea that if we talk about, like, God speaking and things creating, he doesn't share that with us very much, but we can create things, right? So that's an incommunicable attribute, but it's not 100% incommunicable. And on the other side, if we talk about God being loving, we can be loving, so it is communicable, but we don't love quite like God does. So it's not 100% communicable. It is a spectrum. Are you confused yet? I hope that you are. Let me clarify for you. Um, I'm going to give you some examples of a few attributes in each category. We're actually going to start with the incommunicable category for you note takers. Um, I'm going to give you three. So here's the first one. One example of an incommunicable attribute is God's eternity. Um, God's eternity means that God has always existed and will always exist. Now, we as humans have eternal souls, but our bodies will die to an extent. Not to a complete extent, but to an extent we we sort of cease existing at a point. Um, But even more than that, we all have a starting point. Every one of us was born at some point, and God was not. God has always existed and will always exist. And this rolls right into another attribute that you may not have even thought about before, and that is God's independence. Um, Yes, Americans, we love our independence. That's not exactly what I'm thinking about, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, By independence, we mean that God needs nothing from anyone or anything else. Any way you try to say this sentence, it's clunky. We can say God needs nothing 
from anyone or anything, or we could say God doesn't need anything from anyone, or, or it gets very confusing, but you get the point. God's independent. He doesn't need anything at any time. This is really clearly stated in Romans chapter 11. We're going to go through several verses, so you can flip if you want, but I'm going to have them all on the slides for you. Um, Romans chapter 11 says this, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is important for a lot of reasons, but, you know, for example, some people will tell you that God created people because he was lonely. And that's simply not true. If you were here the very first Thursday of the year, you heard Jerry, another guy on staff, talk about the Trinity. This idea that our eternal God actually exists in three persons. It's very mysterious and very confusing. But what it means is that for all time, even beyond time, for all eternity, God has existed in perfect relationship with himself. God created people and he wants a relationship with people, but he does not need it. He's never been lonely and never will be lonely. Now, we as humans, we're not independent. We can still glorify God. We can still honor him, but, but we don't affect his, his existence. But if you flip it the other way around, we are so needy. I mean, if you start with like a baby, right? Like they can't do anything for themselves. Even like babies can develop serious issues or, or even die if they're just not simply touched, right? Their, their needs are just expansive. But even we as adults, um, we need the weather to cooperate and the economy cooper to cooperate so we can eat, right? We need like the laws of physics to build a house to sleep in so that we're protected. We just, every second of our life, we have needs um, that have to be met and that if God were to choose to withdraw his sort of sustaining power, our lives would be snuffed out. So we're dependent and he is independent. The final example of an incommunicable attribute is my personal favorite, and that is God's unity. We're going to spend a little extra time on this because it matters for the communicable attributes. Um, God's unity means that God is all of his attributes at all times. I'm going to throw some diagrams on the screen. These are from that textbook I mentioned earlier. So it's tempting to take some of God's attributes, his love, his wrath, his mercy, his wisdom, etc., and sort of arrange them all together in a mosaic like you see on the screen. And we sort of say to ourselves, God is the sum of all these parts. It's like saying, I am a daughter and a friend and a musician. And when you put all these things about me together, when you add it together, you get the sum of all these parts. And that is not the unity of God. That is not what God's unity is like. Let's try again. Um, sometimes we like to think about God as if there were sort of this like core being. There's this like gravitational force that is God. And then all of his attributes are sort of arranged around him like a magnet, um, almost like he puts them on like clothing. And, and these attributes are united around this core. They're separate, but they're sort of drawn into God. And we say they're united in him in that way. But that is also not the unity of God. The unity of God means that all of his attributes are present at all times. He's entirely loving entirely holy, entirely just, entirely everything at all times and all places. So we can't have his attributes in these little separate circles like you're seeing on that diagram. So this next figure is a crosshatch pattern. Let's just pretend, for the sake of argument, that the vertical line is God's love. The horizontal line is his justice. The diagonal line is his omnipotence, his power, right? Maybe the other diagonal line is his mercy. 
Imagine all of these lines weaving together like a fabric. You would never pull one thread out of a blanket and hold that thread up and say, look at this great blanket that I have. Right? We're not going to pull one thread of God's attributes out and say, this and only this is God. God is all of his attributes at once, and that is sort of what the unity of God is like. That means that when God punishes sin, he's simultaneously demonstrating things like his wrath and his love and his knowledge and his independence and everything else all at once, all things at all times. We aren't like that. We're scattered, we're contrary, we change, we display different attributes at different times, and so God's unity is incommunicable to us. Let's move on to the second category, communicable attributes. Um, okay, so we're not, we're not God, we're not exactly like him, but he shares a lot of things with us. We are made in God's image. Um, there's a, actually a ton of attributes that God shares with us. I just have a list. We're not going to cover all these, don't stress out. But this is just an example. This isn't even a complete list. This is an example of some of the attributes of God that he shares with us. And in fact, if you're a Christian, many times we're commanded to sort of grow in our demonstration of these attributes as we follow Christ. So let's zoom in on just a few. One communicable quality that you probably don't like to think about is God's wrath. It's all over the Bible, but again, Romans provides us with one example. This is from Romans chapter 1. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Here's God's wrath coming against sin and evil and wickedness. In our culture, we are intensely uncomfortable with the idea of God's wrath. And so I want to take just a minute to challenge some of that discomfort. Um, just a, a brief heads up, I'm going to talk about a, a true story um, of a woman who is human trafficked. I'm not going to get graphic, uh, but if you need to take a break, take a bathroom break, distract yourself, um, it'll probably be two or three minutes. Um, but I want to share this story with you. This woman was trafficked here in the U.S. after becoming homeless due to a natural disaster. And these are her words. I'm just going to read them directly to you. She says, I was led to a tiny bedroom which housed six women. Five men shared the other bedroom, and two more slept on couches in the only living space. A single bathroom was shared by all 13 of us. Most nights, I anxiously slept in fear of the unknown men who were just steps away. It was common to work a full day only to be told we'd also be on the night shift. I quickly discovered that my take-home pay was a fraction of what the traffickers received for my work making it impossible for me to live on such little money, let alone leave. Such financial manipulation, along with constant threats and intimidation, forced us to comply with the traffickers' demands out of fear. I felt worthless for letting this happen. How did I, a young mother with a job and a life, end up being trafficked? Like countless others who have shared similar experiences with me, it all happened when something unimaginable, which was a hurricane, swept in and blew everything away. So this woman was separated from her children with no hope of escape. And now, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture her trafficker. What emotions do you feel? What is your impulse? How, how are you wanting to respond as you picture this person? I hope that at least some of you are angry. Because there is such a thing as right and wrong. 
objectively right and wrong. And forced labor is wrong. I can't even try to call myself a good person if I refuse to hate what is wrong. And that is a characteristic that we share with God. If, if even me, a, a puny little human who's not God and, and who sins all the time, who does wrong all the time, can look at something and get angry at something that is wrong and evil, how much more can God be angry at evil? God, who is goodness itself, God who, who from whom all goodness and justice and morality flows, God has wrath because it is good and appropriate for God to hate sin and punish evil. I wouldn't want to follow a God who didn't act against the horrendous things that happen in our world. The problem that we run into is that in this story, you and I aren't the trafficked woman as much as we are the trafficker. We are the objects of God's wrath, and we should be. Have you ever lied? Have you ever done or thought anything outside of God's intent for sexual ethics? Have you ever cheated on a test? Have you ever spoken poorly about someone? All of these things are objectively wrong, and they objectively deserve God's wrath, whether we feel like they do or not. Which brings me to another communicable characteristic of God. You actually get two for one on this. This is God's mercy and grace. These two words can be hard to define, so for the purpose of this talk, we're going to say that mercy is the impulse to be good towards people who are in misery and distress. Mercy says, I see that person in distress. I want to be good. I want to do good for that person. And grace, for the purpose of this talk, is giving good things to people who rightly deserve punishment. So since God is unified, He has all of his attributes at once. At the same moment that he is experiencing wrath towards sin, he also sees that sinner in distress, and his impulse is to be merciful towards them. He sees that sinner who rightly deserves punishment, and his impulse is to show that sinner grace. And at first, when we look at this, these things are completely at odds with one another. How can God possibly have righteous wrath and yet be merciful towards the person? who who rightly deserves that wrath. And yet we see these two things put together in the Bible all the time. Here is just one example. There are many. Um, This is in the book of Exodus. God is speaking to Moses, and you're going to see mercy and wrath right next to each other. Exodus chapter 34 says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So we've got that mercy and grace, and we've got wrath right next to it. Um, The place where that becomes understandable is in the cross of Jesus Christ. But before I talk about the cross, I want to add another communicable characteristic, and that is God's wisdom. In this context, oh, there we go, found you again. In this context, wisdom means that God has the best goals and the best means to achieve those goals. So every decision that he makes, he's moving towards a perfect outcome, and he is doing so perfectly. 
Okay, because we are human and not God, God's plans, his actions don't always look wise to us. Just like a child who wants to eat candy for dinner, hopefully has a wise parent who says that will make you sick and hyper. It is unwise to eat your candy, but to the child, that looks ridiculous. Why in the world wouldn't you have candy for dinner? Um, Thankfully, the Bible explains that to us, even when we don't feel like what God is doing is wise. The Bible actually says that the most foolish thing, from a human perspective, the most foolish thing that God does is still wiser than the wisest thing that we could ever come up with. That's the objective truth. Whether it appears that way, whether it feels that way to us or not, that is the reality of God's wisdom. Here's where this comes in with the cross. Um, The cross appeared to be very foolish. So during his ministry, Jesus claimed to be God come in human form. And because of that, he claimed that he would bring about God's righteous kingdom on earth. He claimed that he was going to punish the wicked and save the righteous, and yet what happened to him? His closest friends betrayed him. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was murdered in the most humiliating way possible. From a human perspective, this did not look wise. If we didn't have scripture to explain this to us, this wouldn't look like a perfect goal. Like your main guy dying does not look like a perfect goal. And it certainly doesn't look like a perfect way to get there. Yet it was the wisest act possible. God knew that humanity had racked up a debt so large that we could never repay it. His wrath was a thousand percent against us. A debt so huge that actually only God himself could foot the bill. And so that's what God did. God came as Jesus to die, taking the punishment we deserved, paying the debt that we owe, and absorbing God's wrath in order to set us free from our sin. In this way, God showed grace to people who didn't deserve it. He gave something good to people who didn't deserve it. And yet he also justly and rightly poured out his wrath on the evil of the world. That's why the cross is the wisest thing that we could possibly encounter. And because God's wisdom is somewhat communicable to us, as we study scripture, as we learn about Jesus, we can come to see the cross and every other plan that God has as wise. Okay, we've been all over the place tonight. Let me land the plane. Um, Here's what this means for you. I have three questions. I'm actually going to add a fourth question. Um, So I have four questions for you, three on the screen. The first is this. Do you know God as he really is? So um, when I'm done, we're going to do a Q&A, and then I'm going to give away some books um, that will help you pursue the character of God. But you already have access to the best book, which is the Bible. That is God telling us about himself in a way that we can understand it. Um, And as you can see, it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's knowledge so that we can live rightly and relate to God. If we don't know that God is holy, that he's different and higher than us, then there's no need for us to be brought near to him. If we don't know that he's independent from us, we may try to manipulate him. If we don't know that his grace and his wrath go together, we're not going to seek salvation from him. So do you know God as he really is? Here's the second question. Have you trusted Christ to absorb God's wrath and show you God's mercy? 
make no mistake, if you have not trusted Christ, there is no other escape from God's wrath. It is perfectly within God's character to punish sin just as much as it is to be gracious. The only way those two can come together is in Christ. So if you have not trusted Christ, then you are still on the side of sin, and God's wrath is, that's where God's wrath is directed. If you haven't trusted Jesus or you're not sure what that means, please don't leave here tonight without doing something about that. I would love to talk to you, anyone who's been up front, someone who brought you. We would love to help you understand what it means to trust Jesus. Here's your third question. Will you worship God accurately? Worship isn't just what we do when we sing, although that's part of it. Worship is how we conduct our lives in response to God and in a way that brings God glory. So will you worship God accurately? When we think about God, let's make sure that we think about him as he actually is and not buy him any Minnie Mouse water bottles, right? When we sing or listen to worship music, let's make sure it's telling us truths about his character. And by the way, guys, the Jamie Crew Band does a great job of this, of selecting songs very carefully that will teach you truths about God's character. Um, When we read our Bibles, let's look for truths about God that we can marvel at, not just reading it, hoping that it's going to make us feel good or tell us which, which thing to do today, but actually looking for what does this tell me about God. As we talk about God and make decisions, let's do so with regard for who our God actually is and not who we imagine him to be. And here's your fourth question. It's always exciting when a speaker goes off script, right? I always get excited. I'm like, what? What's going to happen? Um, I spent, so I'm, I'm on a spiritual high. I'm just going to own that. I've, if any of you have been to like a Christian camp, come off a spiritual high. I didn't go to a Christian camp, but I went to Liberty University. I was doing some recruiting for one of our overseas partnerships. And so I'm just riding the spiritual high of like seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ who are ready to serve God with their lives, whether it's in their career or in missions. Um, I was so encouraged by them. And so here's my fourth question to you. Will you make this God known? You have to know him to make him known. But will you make this God known? We talk about sharing your faith at Crew a lot, so I do want to give lift to that. Please go to Go Time. Please take opportunities to get trained in evangelism, all of that stuff. Um, But I also really do want to push you just a little bit um, to think even bigger than that. Could you cross a barrier to make God known? Could you, could you go somewhere different? Could you go to a different city? Could you go to a different country to make God known? Maybe it's short term, maybe it's long term. Could you consider a different career track in order to make God known? Um, you know, in October and November, we're going to talk a lot more about missions and the global side of crew. And so I'm just planting a seed here. This is not what this talk is about. But if we have truly encountered the one true God who is as incredible as we have described tonight. Um, The more that we look at him, honestly, the more we're going to share him with others. Um, And the reality is, if you're a Christian, your life is no longer your own. You have been purchased at a price. And God has been very clear about what we're supposed to do with this life that he has purchased from us. And that is to make him known all over the world. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want you to be thinking about it. I want to just plant that seed in your brain, and we'll come back to it as the semester moves on. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to close just by reading Psalm 63. 
Psalm 63 was written by a guy named David. He was king over Israel. Um, He wrote this brief poem, and it shows how much he just marveled at who God is. He just relished the truth of who God is, and he delighted in it. And so as I read, I just want you to read with me and reflect. Um, Maybe allow it to be a prayer for you. Maybe some phrases jump out, and you just want to sort of in your heart or in your own mind repeat those phrases back to God. Maybe you want to change them slightly to apply it to your life. Just let this be a moment of private personal reflection and prayer as I read this psalm. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Let me pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Would you enable and empower us to understand your word, to see you as you actually are, and to live in accordance with that truth? Um, Lord, would we not just know you in an intellectual sense, but would we know you in a personal sense, you know, as we know our friends and our family? Um, And would we just take great delight in satisfaction in knowing you and making you know? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, I might have, should have, was supposed to announce that you can text questions to Audrey. Great, she put in the group me. So if you have a question that pops up, she can handle it. She's a pro. Um, What do you got, Audrey? All right, so um, you said that God has never been lonely and will never feel lonely. Does this mean he doesn't understand our own loneliness? Ooh, what a good question. Hmm. I think that when we look at Jesus, Jesus was fully God and fully human. And so in an existential sense, I think perhaps the only moment that Jesus would have experienced true and, and like deep spiritual loneliness was when God the Father turned his face away on the cross and there was this break in that Trinitarian relationship. Um, Other than that, Jesus has this unbroken relationship in the Trinity. Um, But I also wonder, I don't know, we don't get a lot of information on Jesus' thoughts and feelings, right? But I I do wonder, and I think you could make a good argument for Jesus as a human, experienced perhaps the loneliness of like, I miss my friend because I'm not physically with him. Because at that time, Jesus was in a physical body. Um, I haven't thought too much about it, so I might think about that later and change my mind. So if that's you... Um, and you didn't like that answer, you can just come talk to me later and we'll figure it out. Awesome. Oh, oh I can hear myself now. Um, why does it seem like Christians sometimes have different understandings of God's character? Mm. Probably lots of reasons. 
Why do Christians have different understandings of God's character? Um, yeah, probably a lot of factors. Uh, one of them being um, we are limited and God is not. So it's, it's not that God particularly changes, but it's that I might be grasping certain elements of his character because I can't grasp all of them at once. You might be grasping certain elements. So on sort of a surfacey level, um, that might be what you're experiencing. Um, at, at a deeper level, we are sinful people. Sometimes we do misread or misinterpret the scripture. And so sometimes if there's deeper, you know, more fundamental characteristics, um, that could happen. We also tend to, well, we have to. We can't talk about all of God's character attributes at once. And so we, we have to emphasize certain character traits in order to teach about God. I can't just stand up here and be like, God's all the good things all at once. Cool, you understand? Right, like that, that, does, no, that does you no good, right? Even I had to pick certain character traits. And that doesn't mean I don't believe in or don't value the character traits that I didn't pick. But just because we are humans, we have to talk about them selectively. So it kind of depends on what kind of disagreement you're talking about. If you're talking about a deep theological disagreement, like if you think that God is not actually holy, that's sort of a Bible interpretation issue. But if it's a surfacey thing where one church maybe talks about God's love more often and another church agrees with God's love but maybe talks about a different attribute more often, I think maybe that would some of those more surfacey things would explain that.